0: Welcome to Vintage McCoy. We have an incredible installment tonight you don't want to miss. We have a very special guest, Eric Metaxas. Stay tuned. Kairos, this is your moment. Liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. We must participate in the public square. This is a moment in time that will define history as we know it furtherance of America as we know it.
1: That's a powerful gift, freedom.
0: And we're not going to bow to tyranny. This isn't me standing, it's us. This is the moment for the body of Christ. We pray that there would be an awakening and a revival in the nation. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm so glad you've tuned in because we are going to have a great time here with Eric Metaxas, aren't we, Eric? Wait a minute. <laughs> you're not Rob McCoy. <laughs> I, they said vintage McCoy. I know Rob McCoy. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm kind of tired right now. Uh, I'm still on East Coast time, but I, I know enough to
0: know that you're not Rob. Who are you? I'm Pastor Rick Brown, and I fill in for Rob when he's gone. And so he's out of town, and you and I get to hang I out listen, together. I like Rob. I like you, everything about if Rob. If you're offended, that I'm leaving. But, but no, i got to tell you, I'm ready to walk off, because they <laughs> they
1: told me this was vintage McCoy. And uh, and you're, listen, uh, I don't know what your preaching's like. I don't know anything, but one thing I know from sitting here, you're better looking than Rob McCoy. <laughs> I know. I want to embarrass you and Rob and myself. No, I... <laughs> We haven't met till this morning, but I, you know how much I love Rob. Yes, and I am excited to be uh, speaking at your church uh, tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday. Three right? days, and then I get to go home. That's right. Yeah, I'm yeah. psyched to be here, and I'm, I'm meeting so many heroic pastors in California. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I, yeah.
0: I'm, I feel honored to be here. It really is a yeah. uh, an epic time in our history. Yes, it's it's unbelievable, yeah. and. Uh, you know, Judge Alito on the Supreme Court yeah. said that the corona is a stress test for the Constitution. Amen. But, Eric, what we're seeing across America, yeah. and specifically what you mentioned in California, yeah. is it is a stress ch- test for the church. Totally. For believers. Those totally. who are folding totally. like totally. a cheap suit. Yes. And those who are standing for liberty. We're not names. No names. Yet. No. Later, <laughs> in the next episode. No, this is great. Thank yeah. you. I'm so glad to be with you. Yeah. And uh, I met you uh, through TV a decade ago when you were on the Glenn Beck show, and you were doing a, a decade ago. Yeah, uh, I was. I was in junior high. You, you were so I was dapper, just a kid and young. Incredible. And the years. Yeah. The years have
1: been kind to you. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, so but that you, was literally that was 11 years ago. Yeah that I, my Bonhoeffer book came out. And a lot of people know me from that. They still come up to me and say, thank you for your book. And I'm thinking, I've written like 12 books and it's always the Bonhoeffer book. Why do you think that is? I'll tell you why that is. Bonhoeffer's life is a beautiful, heroic life of a saint that gave himself over to God in such a way that the story resonates with us today. And so when I wrote the book, I had no clue that it would be received this way. In fact, the story of how I wrote the book, I wrote a book called Miracles, where I tell some of the story of writing the Bonhoeffer book, and it was a huge trial. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a huge trial for me, and uh, I had to switch publishers. It was very painful, but the Lord spoke to me uh, and let me know that his hand was on the book. I didn't know anything more than that, just kind of like, okay, Lord, got it, got it, got it. So I just kept going. Yeah, And when it... Became this, you know, like huge bestseller and mm-hmm. evangelical book of the year and all this crazy stuff. I thought, oh, that's what the Lord must have meant because I, I just wanted to get it done so I could move on to the next thing. It Was really <laughs> painful. Yeah. And but the Lord used well, it. It was a big
0: read. To, well, I mean, yeah, it
1: was a big read. <laughs> but the Lord used it uh, in in a way to introduce me to a lot of folks that that didn't know me before. As a result of that, I got to. Be the speaker at the National Prayer Breakfast in 2012. Mm-hmm. So th- the book was God's way of, uh, you know,
0: kind of giving me a platform that I definitely didn't have before that. Yeah. Isn't that great? So far. And even though it was back then, and we're here to talk about another book, which we'll get to in a moment, but um, if we could fast forward 11 years ago, it's so apropos for today, what is happening in America. Well, I'm like, it yeah. feels so current. The Bonhoeffer. What he was—he was so concerned for Germany. He he came back from America, where he was safe, to
1: minister to his nation. This is no kidding. When I was writing the Bonhoeffer book, which is like 2008, Mm -hmm. I guess, Mm -hmm. I knew while I was writing it that the Lord was speaking prophetically through Bonhoeffer's story to us now. I had no doubt about that. When I started to write the book, I didn't know this. So it's not like I went into it thinking, we need to hear this now. I didn't know enough about Bonhoeffer. But when I did the research and discovered who he was and what he went through and what Germany was like, I mean, my mother grew up in Hitler's Germany. I dedicate the book to my grandfather. I'm named after him, Eric. And uh, so this was a period that I had a lot of questions about. So when I did the research, um, I thought I'm doing research on my own family, because my family lived through this period. And while I was doing the research, I I recognized that, number one, Bonhoeffer never drifted left and woke like so many people (laughs) claimed he did, because they were claiming that. They were acting like he became some kind of a humanist, you know, union theological, um, uh, what's the term we're looking for? It's kind of like he became a, a humanist more than a Christian. In fact, Christopher Hitchens, who lied openly, he said on the Charlie Rose show, Charlie Rose said, well, well wait a minute, wasn't Bonhoeffer was a, was a Christian? And Hitchin says, no, 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 he was a humanist. You know, like, and, and Charlie Rose didn't challenge him. A lot of people had this idea that Bonhoeffer drifted left, and when he talked about religionless Christianity, that was kind of like a Christian ethic, and that he didn't believe in the resurrection and all that stuff. When I did my research, I was astounded to realize all of that is not true. He's been misrepresented for basically 50 years. Wow. And so the people who'd been misrepresenting him when I wrote my book didn't like me very much. I bet, yeah. And they kind of got But I thought yeah. I didn't try to write this book to shame you. I tried to write the book to be faithful to the history, and that just makes you look bad because you were not faithful to the history and you made him look like a 60s anti-Vietnam liberal or something like that. And the fact of the matter is that Bonhoeffer was a theologically orthodox Christian. He became increasingly so, yeah. more heroic, whatever. Yeah. But when I was writing this story, I had a keen sense that this is this is America. Now this was two thousand and eight, yeah. but I just I just could smell it. I said, that, you know, prophetically by the Holy Spirit, I thought this I can feel that this is mm-hmm. where we're going. Yes. And in retrospect, now I don't have any doubt that God called me to write that book. Mm -hmm. for us today for the church today so that when you read the book you will see where we are and it will be a warning to us to the church today if you do not step up heroically Mm -hmm. this is exactly what will happen Mm -hmm. in fact this is what is happening apart from the grace of God apart from the church in America standing up heroically this is what will happen, so I really do believe that somehow God allowed me to tell this amazing story, and you know it's it's not me uh, it, it's it's not my writing that it it's it's the story of Bonhoeffer that's amazing, but because I laid it out in a way that had never quite had been laid out before, I think a lot of people didn't really know the story. They kind of got bits and pieces, but this was the first time. And so I think a lot of people were amazed to read of such a hero in the middle of Nazi Germany, but also because of the parallels, you think this is not history. This is happening now, and this really is a warning to the church now. Are we going to go down the same path that they did?
0: I agree, and I I know that it's from 11 years ago, but it's so relevant and current. Maybe it would be good if we just... Uh, if I could uh, have you unpack a few things sure. that really were helpful to me through yeah. that process. One is that we see where Germany went, which Hitler was to the far right, but it can happen, now it's happening with the far left.
1: Actually, I would even I would even correct you technically there yeah, to say that when we talk about Hitler, this is a fascinating thing. We yeah. all know, we now know about fake news and propaganda right. and whatever. Yeah. But the fact is, for, for our lifetimes, Yeah. Everybody talks about Hitler being radical right. Right. No. Is that inaccurate? No, well, yeah, I'll tell you yeah. why. OK, because tell me why. Because it's big statism, in other words, totalitarianism. Sure. When we say, like we say, the, the liberals are on the left and the, the Nazis are on the right, and I think, not really. It's the yeah. same, let's put it big this way. Big government Right. Big when, government, when, OK. So, so yeah. if you really think about it, self-government on the American model is here, Uh, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like a tightrope, Okay. And you're walking on this thing. So if you fall left or you fall right, you're basically going straight down and there's really no left and right. It's like, you're either doing this and, uh, God is part of the picture. The sanctity of the individual is part of the picture. And it's this beautiful idea that we covenant directly with God and we're going to govern ourselves. And we have the smallest government Mm. possible to do that. Yes. And the opposite is either Hitler or Stalin. Who cares? You're tortured and killed if you disobey the state. Yeah. Do you care if it's by a guy with a huge mustache or a little mustache? <laughs> Nobody really cares because they're, they're equally wicked. I mean, Stalin yep. was probably more wicked, but they were just demonically inspired to bring the power of the state to bear against the church, against the Jews, against anybody that had... A a uh, a system mm-hmm. that was different than the state. So yeah. if you said I value God, they would say no. You got to value the state, you know. And look, that's happening in China now. Yes. Now. Yeah. Don't buy Nike shoes. Don't buy like we are dealing with this stuff. This minute, this is happening yeah. in China and we need to wake up to it. So that's part of the reason that that this is so fascinating because nothing's new under the sun, whether you're talking right. about the Nazis or you're talking about the Bolsheviks. I mean, this is the irony, is that yeah. Hitler acted like the biggest enemy in the world is Bolshevism, Communism. Well, National Socialism and Communism, it's roughly the same thing. They're sisters. With different li- with different leaders. And so, uh, so anyway, I didn't mean to go off on that long tangent, no, but I it's I just a funny to, thing because yeah. we always say, Like the fascists are on the right, and I think, how are they on the right? I really think that uh, as a as a conservative, Mm -hmm. I think no, that's that's absolute nonsense. Pure freedom on the American model has nothing to do Mm -hmm. with fascism, but the left
0: has everything to do with fascism. Ironically. Thank you for un, you know just and I'm going to throw out a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Just like that one, you corrected. Yeah. And wow. So I mean, I, I just no. say that
1: just because people, everybody, no. including me, says that. I want when to I hear think it. We need to yeah. we need to be clear. Like any kind of big state stuff. Right. We we know that that's just from the pit of hell. So whether it's left or right,
0: I agree. It's wrong. Hundred <laughs> percent. And and but the research that you've done yeah. in Bonhoeffer, in yeah. Germany gives you a depth yeah. that. You know, my uh, reference to Bonhoeffer before I read Bonhoeffer was I knew the general story, yeah, and then his cost of discipleship. Yeah, right. That's I mean, about
1: that's about me too. It's right, about right. that's everybody. I mean, that's that's what you know, and it's why I wrote the book because I thought to myself, yeah, how come I we don't Bonhoeffer? have There's
0: all these people? Uh, what oh oh because of your background, your grandfather. Well, two, your, two reasons. The background of two, Germany. Uh, two, two reasons. Um,
1: basically, I first of all, you know, I never. Wanted to write biographies. If you had said to me 15 years ago, Eric, do you think you'll ever write a biography? I would say almost certainly not. I do not have that as an ambition, as a desire. I'm way too self-centered to want to spend, you know, two years focused on some other person. <laughs> I just no. I don't. Why would I write a biography? Like I, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, if you need money or whatever, you don't know what's going on. Somebody comes to me and says, Hey, Erica. How would you like to write a biography of William Wilberforce? There's a movie coming out called Amazing Grace. It's celebrating the 200th anniversary of the abolition of the slave trade, 1807 to 2007. We would like somebody to write a biography of Wilberforce to come out when the movie comes out. How would you like to do that? I thought, okay, it pays this much. Wilberforce is a hero. I love Wilberforce. Hey, he was a profound Christian. I get to tell that story, which doesn't get told in the movie. I mean, the movie just skitters over the top and makes him look like a you know, Robert F. Kennedy uh, hero. I get to tell the whole story. I thought, you know what? Yeah, I will, I'm going to do this. So I, I prayed about it. And this is like one of these rare instances where God actually spoke to me in a vision. I hope I'm freaking some people out with that theology. <laughs> I hope. Just bring it. Suck on that. <laughs> a vision. Uh, God spoke to me in a vision. <laughs> He's so, supernatural. But, he hasn't but it, stopped it, me. It actually, no, but it was really—it's really crazy. I won't, I won't go okay. into it. But it, that's besides the point. The real point is, I was not somebody who ever wanted to write a biography. Yeah. But I thought here's a story of a man. I mean, my heart has always been an evangelistic. I want to reach people, but I want to reach people in the culture. So it's not so much politics or evangelism, but it's like the culture needs to know that some of the greatest heroes in history have been motivated by profound Christian faith. And I thought Wilberforce is the classic example. Uh He stood up for strangers, for for blacks from Africa. Why? Because he had an experience with Jesus, his heart was on fire for God, and he said, I wanna use my talents in politics for God's purposes. And so he led the battle for the abolition of the slave trade. And I thought, people need to know if you're against racism, you're against whatever, you need to know that the man who led the battle did so because of what the Bible said and because of his Christian convictions. And all the people around him, not all, but most, were Bible banging evangelicals of their day. They weren't the respectable church people. They go to church, but, the, you know. So I said, that's an amazing story. So I told that story, and I enjoyed writing the book. And I thought maybe, maybe, maybe I would write one other biography, maybe. Uh, and I said if I were to do that, it would be about Bonhoeffer because it's sort of a, you know, a, a companion uh, story in the sense that here you have a guy you know, 150 years later standing up for the Jews against Hitler, another hero, why? Because of his faith in Jesus. Because of his faith in Jesus, he stood up for the Jews. Because of his faith in Jesus, he was killed by the Nazis in a concentration camp. I thought, this is another amazing story of somebody that most people would say, whatever he's for, I'm, I'm interested in knowing that story because he did the right thing. When everybody else was like looking the other way, trying to keep their jobs, I don't want to be in trouble, he spoke. Why? Because of his faith in Jesus. So that was like, I thought, here's a guy who stands up. For, for the blacks in Africa because of faith in Jesus. Here's a guy who stands up for the Jews. Both of them did it because of, of their profound Christian faith, A kind of a, a faith that most other people around them didn't really have. Mm-hmm. He had this faith. So I thought of that and then I thought because my mom grew up in Nazi Germany, my grandfather was killed in the war. Like this is my history. Yeah. I mean my, my grandmother and my mom, they lived through this and I heard these stories my whole life. So that was part of it. And when I wrote that book, again, it turned out to be kind of a nightmare and a trial, really difficult for me. But God just made it clear that he had his hand on this book. And I was like, okay, Lord, you know, I'm just going to keep going. And it was tough. But I got it done. And it turns out to have all of these parallels to where we are today. And so I can't take credit and say, I saw that coming, and I want to tell the story. Sure. No. God saw it coming, and he, he let me tell the story. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So... I think that theme in this generation is so important because now um, the, the person that is um, the most, um, how's it, the prejudice against the white, Christian, male, yeah. heterosexual yeah. is uh, fire breathing from the social justice movement. And yeah. But we know it doesn't matter what color your skin is, when Jesus ch- touches your heart, Yeah. You want to love God and love the people around you. You don't care who they are. And when you see injustice, you want to help it. You want to fix it. I yeah. mean, this is the story of history for 2,000 years. Yeah. And you picked out a couple of great examples because Wilberforce spent his whole life. I mean, from the time he oh, yeah. made that decision. Yeah. It was like 60 years of his right. Well, what, I, what I
1: find funny is that I, I wrote a biography talking about the man who abolished... The African slave trade in the British Empire, and led the battle to abolish it all through Europe. And right, and I wrote a biography of a man who, because of faith in Jesus, stood up for the Jews. So both of these things are totally not like nationalist, white nationalist, or racist. or right? it's the antithesis. Right, it's the opposite. Even though I wrote both of those books, because I have some of the political opinions I, I do, people have said I'm. Perhaps uh, anti. When I when I first came out for Trump, a guy wrote an article. Uh, he had written for the New York Times Magazine, a big deal guy, ba- suggesting that this is coming from anti-Semitism. And I just thought these people have lost their their minds. Like they they don't have the ability. They're so emotional, so angry that they can't even think logically. Like you could say, Eric, I don't agree with you on this and this and this and this, but to accuse me of anti-Semitism or racism or what you think. Wow, it, it's almost like a gift because it's so clear that it's nonsense. In other, in other words, like if, if somebody writes books against a tribalist, racist view, but that's not good enough because he says this, you say he's a racist, it kind of gives you super clarity that that these folks are unhinged. They're no longer being ruled by logic. It's, it's somehow an emotion and an anger mm-hmm and it's not rational and so you know in many ways i feel sorry for them because they are they've given themselves over to something they've given themselves permission to hate so when you bring up like white evangelicals i think even the term white evangelicals like what the heck does that even mean it's a way to demonize a group. That's
0: right. Yeah, that, that's what it is, it's, it's a way to say like, yeah,
1: you're one of those white evangelicals. It's no different than people, you know, in previous centuries, you say, you're one of those Jews. The reason all we're all dying of the plague is because of you Jews. Mm-hmm. Like that is true mm-hmm. tribalist, racialist, demonization of human beings. And as Christians, we know, we're not supposed to demonize human beings. We're supposed yeah. to hate sin and love the sinner. And so when I, when I see that kind of labeling and that, that scapegoating and whatever, there's an article in the New York Times, like two weeks ago, about white evangelicals, I don't know, anti-vaxxers, whatever it was. It was a kind of a, a, an article like lumping all of the white evangelicals in a certain group, and I thought, this is what we're doing now um, in the New York Times. We're lumping people in a group based on the color of their skin and some kind of faith thing. And, and even that's not true because I had you know, Naomi Wolf on my program or Simone Gold or whatever, Who these people who are, they're Jewish, they're women, you know, like, but that doesn't fit the narrative. We just want to call it white evangelicals and stuff. And I thought, how ironic that the very people who talk about stuff like racism or whatever or hating the other, they are doing that. And everyone I know who is a white evangelical or any kind of a black evangelical or a Christian or whatever, we love those not only who look different than we do, we love people who are completely ideologically our enemies. We still say, Jesus loves you, I love you, Amen. and we mean it, yeah. but they're not writing about that in the New York Times. That's not fitting the narrative. It's that's, like a narrative of they want to scapegoat you know, us because somehow they feel they've given themselves permission mm-hmm. to hate. And yeah. I think that the reason it's very similar to the hatred of the Jews during the Nazis and other times is like the Jews had money, the Jews were controlling a lot of businesses. In other words, people could say it's their fault. You see, they're they're the ones controlling, they're the ones making this happen and they got their wealth on the back of, you know, the poor German people. And it was it, it just felt really good to hate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give yourself permission to hate them, and that's always existed. We know this, right? Yes. Since the garden, yeah. since we left the garden, the idea that that I'm going to find something to blame instead of myself. That's right. And I'm going to feel so good about saying that is the reason that I'm having a difficult time, and that 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 always will work. You know, people will be able to play on that, and Hitler masterfully played on the resentment of the German people, just brilliantly. But, you know, the New York Times and and leftists,
0: they're doing the same thing today. And once again, correct me if I'm wrong, through that process, because in Germany, that the state Lutheran church, that he worked with those who would work with him. Of course. And then there were, Bonhoeffer was, he stepped away from that. He was independent of that. He was following Christ. Right. and, um, And some of that people have said you could lay at the feet of Martin Luther in the sense that in his later writings yeah. were, were not kind towards the Jewish people. Well, the, so, yeah. people have to understand. Yeah. I mean, this is what's so
1: devilish uh, and satanic about, about some of this stuff. It's fascinating. Martin Luther, first of all, was a human being. So he was a cr- cranky at the end of his <laughs> life. And I write about this in my, my Martin Luther book. At the yeah. end of his life, he was suffering from all kinds of maladies, from, you know constipation to you know tinnitus to everything you can think of so he became a cranky irascible but he was that way toward everybody yes so if you just want to read what he wrote about the Jews don't kid yourself it was he everyone despised everyone that that disagreed with him and he thought it was this big ideological battle for the true gospel so if you were a Catholic or a Muslim, or whatever you were, you're the enemy, and he's going off because he really believed we're in the end times, and this is Antichrist, and whatever, right. So what he said about the Jews has to be put in that context, number one. Okay. Number two, at the beginning of his life, he wrote some of the most kind things about the Jews that you'll ever read. It That's was amazing. True. That's true. So He, he wanted to cracked win them. Up, he, yes. wanted, he wanted to win so them. So when they trucks. didn't kind of... You know, come calling for what he thought they're gonna they're gonna come with flowers. You know, <laughs> because finally we're treating them the way they should be treated, not the way the church has treated them. So he got really you know angry at them. And this is not to excuse it; it's to put it in context, right? But but the thing is that he was uh, he was unhinged at the end of his life. Now. It's kind of like when you take a tweet that somebody does when they're on Ambien at 3 a.m. And you say, <laughs> look what they said. This represents <laughs> who the totality are. of their life, right? right? Yeah. So what Hitler wrote at the end of his life, Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran, who loved Luther, wasn't even aware of this stuff. Why? Because it was not central to who Luther was. And the only reason we're talking about it is because the genius propagandist Nazis When they found this, they thought, aha, it's like finding some, you know, scuzzy thing that George Washington said uh, when he was half drunk, take it, print it, sell it over and over and over again and tell people this is who he really was. So the Nazis thought, what a delicious thing to find, you know, the father of the German people, the man who practically invented the German language, Martin Luther said these things, we want to give this as much oxygen as we can, and we want people to think this is who Luther was at his core. Now, again, it doesn't excuse what Luther said, but the fact of the matter is they delighted in being able to give this very obscure stuff Mm -hmm. uh, as much oxygen as possible, fan it into flames, Mm And uh, they, they used it. I mean, they they simply, they simply used it. And look, there, there are strains, we know this, of anti-Semitism all through history. Why? Because God loves the Jews. That's right. And if God loves it's a you, spiritual battle, really. Satan hates you. Mm-hmm. And so we go all the way back into the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. The, the, you find a fascinating, thing. even today, a, a friend of mine, Dr. Michael Brown, who's a Jewish man who loves Jesus, He gave a talk uh, at Yale. It was after I graduated, but he gave a talk on anti-Semitism, and he said, "Look, just look at this. Black nationalists hate Jews. White supremacists and, you know, whatever, uh, hate Jews. Why is this? Well, hatred, the father of hatred is Satan. He hates what God loves. And if you're somebody who loves Jesus, if you are, uh, you know, a, a, a family man, whatever it is that Satan's going to attack, it's because God loves it. And so I find it so interesting that, you know, you see this woven through, uh, history. it's part of, it's just part of where, where we are uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the story of history.
0: So, yeah, yeah, it's... Well, I think all those things are so relevant for right now, Eric, because of what we're seeing and it doesn't matter... Um, as you said, the things that God loves, the world hates. And you can motivate people with love as God does his people, mm-hmm. or you can motivate them with hate. And hate is reigning in the streets, the mob mentality and the things that are going on. But we, yeah. we want to pause at that thought, and we want to pick it up next time because I didn't plan on going into that uh, so deep with Bonhoeffer and Wilberforce, but I think it's uh, a great segment, and we'll pick up the next one next time.
1: Hey guys, thanks for watching. For more information, head over to VintageMcCoy.com or follow us on Instagram at McCoy. We'll see you there.